this morning's uh, Bible reading is taken from John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17. You can find it on either on page 763 or 1081, depending on which Bible you've got close by. So John chapter 13, verse 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Friends, let's just bow in prayer before we think about God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise you that uh, you have given us your word uh, as the revelation of yourself and your plans for us and the way that we need to respond to you. We thank you also, Father, for the gift of your spirit who enlightens our minds and who changes our hearts. And now we pray that as we come to consider this passage from Scripture, that uh, you would indeed be uh, helping us to know you better and helping us to follow you in a way that uh, reflects the servanthood of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Good food, great service, excellent coffee. That's a motto that I saw uh, for a coffee shop. And it's tempting, isn't it? I mean, do you love good food? Do you love excellent coffee? I know I certainly do. 
and even better when it comes with great service. We all like to be served, don't we? Uh, which is a good thing because customer service is very important. I mean, it's much better than being ignored. It's much better than being treated rudely. And I think it's true to say that uh, we Aussies have come to expect a certain standard of service. Not just in coffee shops, but in various uh, arenas of life as well. But the question is, have we become too accustomed to being served? Have we become too accustomed to having my needs met, uh, my demands fulfilled? And what about in the Christian life? I remember <clears throat> some time ago driving past a church and uh, looking at the sign outside the church which, which said this. It said, good music, good preaching, great God. Well, at least we know that the last of those statements uh, is verifiably correct. And uh, good music, uh, good preaching, these are good things. I love good music, I love good preaching. And yet it sounded just a little bit too much like the coffee shop. As if even the Christian life is about being served, about having my needs met by others serving me. Now, of course, we all do have legitimate needs, uh, needs which, which are very often met uh, within the fellowship of God's people. But it's this mindset of my right to be served which Jesus turns upside down in today's passage and so if you've got a bible near you you might like to open up at john chapter 13 uh, there is of course a, an outline of the uh, of the sermon uh, in your seats here in church and uh, has been supplied by uh, the facebook page for those who are at home uh, but i want you to have a look at john chapter 13 verse 1 let me read this for you it says it was just before the passover festival jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or as some translations have it, he now showed them the full extent of his love, both of which are valid. What we see here is that Jesus' time had come. <clears throat> Throughout John's Gospel, uh, Jesus has been saying, my, my hour has not yet come, my time has not yet come, but here it has come. This was the point to which all of his life had been heading. Now, it was the Passover, and hundreds of thousands of people were in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the disciples had organised plans for them to celebrate the Passover together. They had organised an upper room in a house in which they would uh, meet uh, and eat the Passover meal. They had been to the market, they had the bread, they had the wine, they had the bitter herbs, they had a special dip and uh, they had also uh, purchased a live lamb. The lamb had been sacrificed by a priest and so in verse 2 the meal was now being served. Now, when you and I um, <clears throat> have a special meal at our place, 
Uh, we tend to sit on chairs at a table, don't we? And, uh, m- you know, my mum, uh, she used to always say to me at those special um, meals at Christmas time and so on, she'd always say to me, Scott, sit up straight. Um, <clears throat> elbows off the table and don't talk with your mouth full. Mum was like that. Was that sometimes like that at your place? Uh, it certainly was in my place. It's not these days, though. But at a Jewish meal, they actually were more relaxed. <laughs> they, they laid on lounges as they ate, but not like a TV dinner like we might have. They lay on lounges. That was their custom. And we see this later on in John chapter 13, for example, in verse 23, where one of the disciples, we're told, was reclining next to Jesus. Um, in verse 25, where Peter... Uh, we understand, leaned back against Jesus. And so that was the setting. But there was something missing from this meal. No arrangements had been made for foot washing. Now, that's an important issue uh, in first century Judea. Uh, Think about it. What was the mode of transport during those days? How did people get around? Well, it was... uh, uh, it, it, it was donkeys and horses, or, or it might be two feet fitted with sandals. Can you imagine how dirty those roads were during Passover time? I, I mean, 250,000 sheep uh, entering Jerusalem for, for slaughter at the, Passover, at the Passover. Uh, what do you think they would have left behind? on those streets? You don't need to answer that question. Do I need to spell it out for you? And so foot washing, it was an essential function. Whose job was it? Well, whose job do you think it would be? It was a dirty, smelly, rotten, putrid job uh, to clean feet and that was therefore the job of the lowest ranking servant in any household. Not even disciples, not even disciples were expected to wash the feet of their teacher. Um, Let me read to you from an old rabbinical saying from around that same time. Uh, This is not from the Bible, this is a rabbinical saying and it said, and I quote, Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of his sandal thong because you've got to touch the feet. This was a very lowly job. And here the situation was now awkward. There they were, the meal has been laid out, they're uh, reclining, they're about to enjoy, but no arrangements had been made for the washing of feet. And so in verse 4, something astonishing happened. Jesus pushed himself off his lounge wrapped a towel around, he took off his clothes, he took off his clothes and he wrapped a towel around his waist. That was the attire of the lowest servant. He picked up a basin of water and he headed to the nearest disciple. Now, this would have absolutely stunned the disciples. Um, I wonder, at Easter time, have you ever seen sometimes when they've been showing Easter being celebrated around the world on TV, 
that uh, we see, uh, you know, some religious denominational leaders performing a ceremonial washing of, peop of people's feet at Easter time. Have you ever seen that on TV? Well, it's a ceremonial thing, isn't it? I, 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 really, I seriously doubt that there's any manure involved in that. It's an expected ceremony, but this was not expected. This was something which was shocking because this was actually a real foot washing and the disciples were speechless. Except, of course, one particular disciple... Who would that be? Well, you've got to hand it to Peter, don't you? I mean, whenever he's in a situation where he just doesn't know what to say, what does he do? He says something. <laughs> he says something. You've got to love him for that. Lord, he says in verse 6, are you going to wash my feet? Or in verse 8, he says, no, no. You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet, not to the end of the ages. Never. Now, in one sense, Peter had it right, didn't he? I mean, Jesus was a teacher. There's no way that a teacher should uh, ever have his, uh, uh, ever wash the putrid feet uh, of anyone, uh, uh, any disciple. But there is more to it than this. Have a look in verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In that context, he also knew that one of the disciples whose feet he was about to wash was a disciple who was about to hand him over and betray him. More of that next week. But what we see here in verse 3 is that Jesus was infinitely more than just a teacher. He had come from God the Father in heaven. Uh, and that is where he had been, uh, with the Father in heaven for all of eternity past. And now he was about to return. But more than that, he had been given authority over all of creation. And we've seen that in John's Gospel, haven't we? That Jesus, this is why he could heal the sick. It's why he could raise the dead. It's why he could calm a storm. It's why he could drive out demons. He was not just a teacher. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that though he was in very nature God, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather that he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. A servant. And not just any servant. Not just any kind of servant. He took on the form of a servant or the one who would wipe dirt and manure off people's feet. Why did he do this? Well, there's two reasons. This was Passover. This was the time when Jews especially remembered that God had rescued them out of their slavery in, in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 12, God rescued uh, Israel uh, by bringing judgment upon every household in Egypt so that Pharaoh would let uh, the Israelites go. But God's people... Israel 
were to slaughter a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to cover the doorposts of their houses with the blood of that lamb so that when the Spirit of God came across the land in judgment, it would pass over those households that were covered uh, with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. This is why it's called the Passover, that the judgment passes over and it's why at Passover time that the Jews would sacrifice, would slaughter a lamb and then to um, eat that lamb. But, but the lamb was also a sacrificial lamb. For their slavery in Egypt was a, was a symbol of the bondage which we all experience and that is our bondage to sin our slavery to sin. The reality is, of course, that there is not one of us who perfectly loves, honours and obeys our Creator as we should. And a penalty must be paid. Blood must be shed. At Passover, each family would slaughter a lamb to pay the penalty for their sin. Now imagine what that would have been like in Jerusalem at Passover time. In the temple courts, a quarter of a million sheep were slaughtered. Imagine that. An enormous amount of blood would flow from the altar uh, into the tiny Kidron River, which was just east of, uh, of, of, of the temple. And for days, for days and days, that tiny river, the Kidron River, would be would be a dark crimson colour, a river of blood. And yet, friends, that river of blood had no power to wash away the guilt of human sin. Not even one sin, not even for one person, not one lie, not one moment of greed or hatred or pride or gossip or lust, not even one moment of me putting myself before God because the sacrifice is just an animal when what is needed is a perfect sacrifice of supreme power, of infinite value. In verse 8, <clears throat> when Peter objected that Jesus should wash his feet, Jesus replied saying, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. That is, unless we are washed by Jesus, our, our guilt remains and we will have no part in his heavenly future. You see, friends, the humility of the towel and the bucket was just a pointer to the events of the following day. As Jesus went to the cross... Led, as the prophet Isaiah wrote, like a lamb to the slaughter, bearing our guilt, paying for our sin. Would you like your sins to be washed away? Would you like to be made innocent, clean in the sight of God? So that God's judgment would pass over you? You can't do it yourself, can you? We can't blot out our own sin. There's nothing that we can do to make up for what we've done wrong because it's a permanent record. 
You need a Passover lamb. One who is perfect, one who is infinitely valuable. So can I ask you, have you put your trust in that lamb, in Jesus? Who served you by dying for you. But there is another reason why Jesus washed the feet of his disciples on that day. It doesn't just part, um, point to what would happen the next day. But have a look at verses 14 through to 17. Let me read those for you. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you know that on this very same night, um, Luke, in his Gospel, tells us that the disciples had a little bit of a, um, a dispute with one another, a little bit of, a, um, a bit of an argument with one another. We, we, we don't kind of think of disciples of as arguing with one another, do we? But they did. They had this argument with one another uh, about um, which one of them was the greatest. How about that? For even though they were supposed to be serving God, it seemed that they kind of liked the idea of a bit of status, the idea of perhaps being served. And that's a danger for us. For it is possible for us to uh, do the activities of serving God, but to do it for ourselves. The status of leadership, the authority to have things done the way that we like them to be done, or the uh, personal need that we have to use our gift. Uh, Like the one lady I recall who left her church because someone else was asked to play the piano. And she was so frustrated that she didn't get to use her gift instead of rejoicing that someone else was able to serve. They only had a need for one pianist uh, in the service. Now, friends, we should all be serving God. And serving God uh, can be immensely enjoyable, immensely rewarding, immensely satisfying and fulfilling especially as we see others coming to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ especially as we see others growing in their relationship with Jesus and and becoming more like him and persevering to the end it can be deeply satisfying or it can be the opposite <clears throat> can be the experience of people rejecting God people being ungodly, people falling away, turning their back on the Lord. And it's usually a combination of both, isn't it, Uh, when we're serving God. Serving God is costly. It's costly in many ways. In our time, our energies, our resources. It may even cost you your life to serve God. See, There's not much status, there's not much authority, there's not much pleasure in washing filthy feet or dying on a cross. 
But that's the model. That's the model which Jesus sets before us uh, here in John chapter 13. In verse 15, Jesus washed feet as an example to us. Uh, I've washed your feet, he says, so that you too will wash each other's feet. I don't think he's got cleanliness of feet in mind here, does he? No, it's, it's, it's about not serving ourselves. It's, it's about not serving in order uh, or, or being served by others. It's about stepping down from our pride and taking on the form of a servant and caring for others, looking after their needs before our own. Now, just as in next week's passage that uh, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so too should you love one another. It's a kind of love, not a sentimental kind of love, but it's a sacrificial love, the kind of love that took Jesus to the cross. Other person-centred, costly love. There is a bank which... um, by the way, I'm looking forward to walking into a bank with one of my face masks on and asking for some money sometime in the near future. <laughs> I've got a black face mask at home and we'll try it and then see what happens. But there is a, there's a bank which I keep on getting advertising for on the internet and on Facebook and whatever. It's called MeBank. Have you heard of MeBank? MeBank. It stands for um, Members Equity Bank, which makes sense. And it may be a good bank. I'm not saying it's not a good bank. Don't ask me about, what, about financial advice. I'm, not, I'm terrible at that. Uh, it's a members' equity bank, but it goes by the marketing of me bank. And I reckon that's a great name for marketing, don't you? Uh, because it connects with the spirit of this age, that the world revolves around me and my needs and my desires and my or the consumer Christianity, which asks, what can others in the church do for me? What can the church offer for me? What can they do for me? A friend of mine was an older minister. He said to me, I must have been having a bad day. Someone phoned me up and said, I've just moved into town looking for a church. What can your church offer me? And he said, plenty of blood, sweat and tears. Are you interested? <laughs> You're welcome to join us. <laughs> he said, I was having a bad day. But it's this expectation to be served, which can be so tempting, can't it, in our me-centred, individualistic culture. What about you? Do you like to be served or do you like to serve? Jesus washed feet and his death should change our hearts that we would want to become like Jesus and become servants ourselves sacrificing our time our effort our very lives that others might be cleansed by the blood of Jesus that in hearing about how he served us by going to the cross, 
that they might put their trust in him and live with him forever. So why not, each one of us, um, do some prayerful consideration about serving. I'm always happy to talk to people about how you might be able to serve others within the church and within the community. Come and talk to me if you like. But even better, prayerfully consider this issue. Prayerfully consider, bring it before God, asking him how you might be more involved in serving others with the gospel. Let's pray, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a Lord who is the servant king. We thank you, Father God, that in his great humility, that he who had lived with you for all of eternity, he who had flung stars into space, lowered himself to white manure off feet. Father, how could we put ourselves up on a pedestal? How could we not want to serve others, given how the Lord Jesus has served us? We pray for each one of us here, Lord God, that we would, uh, mindful of his great sacrifice and his humility, that we would seek to be servants too. Amen.